Thank you for coming. Uh, tonight's class was dedicated Zechan Nishmas Moshe Ben Max of blessed memory. May this be to a big, big schus for his neshama. Another dedication tonight was by Rami Duek, and this is in honor of his father's yardside, which is tonight Shimon Ben Moshe, Olav Shalom, on the 26th of Tevis. May his neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May he channel down lots of brachas in the spiritual and the physical to you and all that you need and all that you want. Very soon we will merit the coming of Mashiach in which all those that have departed will return down here to be here with us once again. May that happen. Mamish, mamish, now. So this week's Torah portion is a very exciting parsha. Parshas Va'era, this is the actual beginning of the Exodus. This is the beginning of the story of the Exodus, the Jewish people, T.S. Mitzrayim, which leads to the giving of the Torah, which leads to all the, all the light and all the goodness and the redemption of the world forever and ever. It all begins in the parsha this week, Va'era. It's called Va'era. Let's see, well, what, what, what is the Torah? The, the parsha begins with a discussion between God and Moshe, between Hashem and Moshe. And what's really, really, really exciting is because this discussion that's going on over here uh, was always an old story of what happened way back then, three and a half thousand years ago. But it didn't have maybe that much relevance besides to the first generation who went out of Mitzrayim. Um, but what's exciting about right now is as we stand, mamish, mamish, literally, 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 at the beginning of the redemption, as the redemption, without any shadow of a doubt, uh, and whoever doesn't see it yet, that's okay. You will see it very soon, as the, be- the beginning of the redemption is already beginning to unfold in front of our eyes. Um, this parsha and this discussion between Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu becomes ever more relevant and alive, because whatever is discussed over here is happening right now, we might say in the supernal realm, as a discussion between God and Moshe one more time. Between Hashem and the Redeemer of Israel one more time. Moshe is 
The past Redeemer, Moshe, is the future Redeemer. So as we stand at the onset of redemption, um, this discussion is going on, because this discussion went on at the onset of the first redemption. So one has to really, 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 really pay attention and tune in really well to hear Hashem saying today's days, the era and I have revealed myself to Avram, to Yitzhak, and to Yaakov. So let's see what's going on. The, the opening words that Hashem, Hashem is speaking to Moshe, after Moshe Rabbeinu came back to God and Moshe complained, why the Jewish people have suffered so much? Why have, why, why have you sent me? I'm only causing problems. I haven't caused, I didn't bring it, I didn't make things better for my people. Why did you send me? So in answer to that, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu as follows. I have appeared to Avram, to Yitzchak, and to Yaakov with, with a certain name of mine. Mikhail Shakai with the name of mine called Shakai, Shin Dalid Yud. That's the name that I revealed myself. But Ushmi Hashem, but my, but my more inner name, the name of what in Hasidic terminology is referred to as Shem Havaya, or in English that means the tetragrammaton, the higher, more deeper, private name of God, Lo nodati lahem, I have not made that name known to them. Okay? So what, 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 what's going on? And then he goes on, and I also made promises, but I, and as Rashi explains, I didn't keep the promise, so now I have to keep my promise. That's why I sent you. Now, there is a lot to talk about in the simple pshat, the simple meaning, and Rashi talks about that, and the Ramban, and all the other commentators. But today... We're going to jump right in, not just not to the pshat. We're going to jump right in deep, 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 deep to the inner soul of the meaning of this. We're going to head right into the depth of Hasidus to understand what, what, what's the conversation, what does this mean? Obviously, once you're talking about names of God, I reveal myself with that name, uh, you're, you're in the playground of Hasidus. And when you're dealing with the laws of an ox scoring another ox, there too, there is a Hasidic interpretation and a deeper, higher, more spiritual, godly meaning. But over there, you have to kind of like have a muna to believe that what the Torah is talking about in the material, physical world and all these little details of halacha, they too have more spiritual, godly, or higher, more you know, meaning. However, when you come to a parsha like this that's talking about the various different names of God, you realize how limited you are if you're sticking in the world of pshat. And if you really, really, really want to experience what's going on, you have to. Um, delve into the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus to really understand it. So that's where we'd like to go immediately now. The Hashem is saying, I revealed myself with this name, but not with that name. Why is that an answer to Moshe's question? Moshe said, God, why did you cause the Jewish people so much suffering? And not only did they suffer for the last 210 years, but I came there and you caused me to make them suffer even more. So what's going on? This is an answer for God for all the suffering. Hashem is saying to the Jewish people as follows. He says, The real, real secret of why you're in exile, which you've been a mystery to you, why you're in exile, I want to tell you now why you're in exile. I have something very, 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 very powerful and very, very, very big to transmit to you and through you to the world. I have something very, 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 very meaningful that I want to share with you and again, you're going to be the agents through which this great light 
and this great revelation and this great truth is going to come to the world. And in order for you to be prepared for this revelation and the world to be prepared for this revelation, it required a certain amount of pain. Because without pain, there is no gain. And that's the rule, that's really the answer over here. There needed to be some kind of a purification. You might want to call it some kind of a stretching. I needed to stretch you out to expand your vessels, which came about through the various different suffering and purifications that happened in Egypt, which enables you now to be able to receive something spectacular. And you want to know how spectacular it is? It's something that I haven't even revealed to the fathers, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They couldn't even dream of such a revelation. It was way beyond. Which is really, really getting to the crux of the matter, to the question, because the Jews are kind of wondering, like, what was wrong when we were living in the land of Israel? You'll say, Hashem takes us to Mitzrayim, so He will be able to bring us to the land that flows milk and honey. But we were already in the land that flows milk and honey. We were there already. It wasn't like we weren't there. We were living somewhere in Afghanistan. And God brought us to the land and He saved preparation. We were already there. Avra was there. And not only were they there, they were there living a godly life. They were there and they had a yeshiva and they were studying. and all that. They were really, really a holy people. And they enjoyed a relationship with God. So if they had that already, wow, wow, wow. So God says, and, and, and maybe you'll say they sinned, but they didn't sin. What sin? And you say, well, well maybe they did sin because uh, they sold Yosef. And that was a sin. But if you think about it a little deeper, why they sell Yosef? They sell Yosef because there was a decree that the Jewish people need to go down to Egypt. And how are the Jewish people going to come down to Egypt? Only when Yosef is going to be sold as a slave. And that's how they're going to come down to Egypt. So really... The only reason they sinned was because God had manipulated the situation, as we once spoke about from the Zohar, to get them to sin so that Yosef can go down to Egypt, so they can bring the family to Egypt. So you see that the coming down to Egypt must have been a pre-plan, which happened before that. So that's not the real reason why. That was the cause of Mitzrayim, but that wasn't the reason of Mitzrayim. And God kept it a secret until now. And Hashem says, now, I'll tell you the real reason. The real reason is because I have such a goodness I have such an amazing, powerful, good, wonderful light and revelation that I want to reveal. But I could, but, but, not, but, and this revelation was not to the forefathers. If you would have continued living in the land of Israel with Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov without interrupting and coming to Mitzrayim, you would have continued with the revelations and the connection that I shared with Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, which is a very, very superficial kind of a connection in comparison to what I want to reveal to you. So therefore, that's the answer to Moshe Rabbeinu for all, the, for all the cries and all the suffering. And that's the reason why I took it to Mitzrayim because now I want to reveal to you I'm going to reveal to you the Yudke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, which as we're going to soon see is way, way, way above the Kel Shakai, the Shindalid Yud revelation. And for that it was all worth it. That's the, and that's, that's the general gist of the answer. Now, if this is what's really going on over here. So let's now take this very idea and apply it to the time that we are in right now. Because we are right now in the time at the conclusion of a very, 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 very dark period of time. We have gone through an exile much longer than Egypt. We've gone through an exile and in certain ways harsher than Egypt. Um, in Egypt, six million Jews were in slaughter. And we've seen that in our exile. We've seen suffering and unimaginable, indescribable pain and 
and, and, and persecution. The, 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 the mind can't fathom what the Jewish people have. The world wants to forget, but we don't forget. What we've been through. And this hellish exile for close to 2,000 years. And the reason for that is, you'll say because of sins, but mechata'enu, we didn't, we, we sinned. That's the cause of the Golos, that's not the reason of the Golos. The actual cause that triggered the exile was the sin. But why did we sin in the first place? Just like the Jewish, just like the brothers sold Yosef because it was God's plan to bring the Jewish people to Mitzrayim and that's what caused them to sin. The same is also what caused us to sin is because we had a great connection to God when we lived in the first Beis Amigdash and in the second Beis Amigdash, but it was not the real deal. It wasn't the real deal. Even though we had the revelation of the Yutke Vavke, Gaval, we had the revelation of of, of the Tetragrammaton. This was already even much higher than the forefathers. Well, it is explained that the Yudke Vavke has two levels. There's the lower Yudke Vavke, and there's the higher Tetragrammaton, the higher Yudke Vavke. You see it when you dive and you say, Hashem Hashem Kel Rachum Vachanan. And you mentioned two times Hashem Hashem. And when you look in the Siddur, you see that there's a line. You don't have to be a Kabbalist. You look in the Siddur, you see there's a line between Hashem and Hashem. There's a fence, there is a wall. There is something saying that these two levels are not just a repetition of the same name. The Kabbalists tell us we're talking about what's called Hava, the Zohar says Havaya deliela and Havaya delatata, the upper Havaya and the lower Havaya, the higher tetragrammaton and the lower tetragrammaton, and the higher one is infinitely higher than the lower one. Or another illustration for this idea: Yaakov Avinu, when he slept that night and he had the great great vision, in which he saw the angels going up and the angels going down. And when he wakes up in the morning and he makes a promise to God and he says, if you're going to be with me, protect me, watch over me. So I promise you that... Um, and then he says, one of the things he says, Vahaya Hashem li lelokim. And God will be for me lelokim. So what does that mean? So the Hasidic masters interpret this. It means that Yaakov was envisioning the, the days of Mashiach. Because we know that, we'll see about it in the end of the class, hopefully we'll get to that, that Yaakov represents the future. Avram and Yitzchak represent the past. But Yaakov Avinu, he represents the ultimate redemption of the Jewish people. He's the third one, so he corresponds to the third Beis Amigdash that's going to last forever. So Yaakov, at that moment, had a flash of future. And he said something very powerful. He said, you know what's going to be when Mashiach is going to come? Vahoya Hashem, that the Yudke Vavke, Vahoya Havaya, the Yudke Vavke, the Tetragrammaton, Li will be to me Lelokim, will be considered as like a constriction. You see, the name of Elokim is similar to the name of Shakai, is that it represents limitation and boundaries. Yudke Vavke represents the boundless and the infinite. So, what, so, so what, what, what Yaakov was saying, even though by the giving of the Torah, it was magnificent. Vayered Hashem al Har Sinai, we had such a splendid revelation of the Yudke Vavke. It doesn't compare to what's going to be revealed when Mashiach comes. And that's why the miracles of the going out of Egypt, the miracles of the Exodus, and by the sea, and the giving of the Torah, and everything that has been going on in the Beis Amigdash, everything that we've had throughout all of our history, these powerful, powerful moments of spirituality and the deepest connection to God and deepest revelation, all that is going to be considered child's play. All that is going to be considered like little, 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 little nothing. 
Because Vahoya Hashem, the, the Hashem of now, the Yudke Vavke of now, is going to be considered Lelokim. It's going to be considered the name of Elokim, which the name of Elokim means concealment and constriction. Because the real revelation is going to be the future revelation of the Yudke Vavke, which is going to be infinitely higher and deeper than that which was then. And for that we need to go through, as we said earlier, no pain, no gain. So we have to, and the pain that we have now, being that it is so much greater than the pain that we've had in Egypt in terms of both quantity and quality, because we, there we only suffered 210 years and now we're suffering um, 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 close to 2,000 years, 1900 and close to nine, no, close, 1940 something. The amount of time that we're already in exile, it's coming to an end, but we've been here for such a long time. In terms of time, also in, in terms of suffering. I mean, Paro did throw all the Jewish babies into the Nile, and Hitler killed all the boys, girls, men, women, children, grandfathers, and everybody. So we, we, we've seen an hour, an hour exile worse, as we spoke earlier. So, so in every level, this 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 gallus exceeds the exile of Egypt. And if this is the case, if this is the case, so we have to say, if this is the pain which leads us to the gain. So what kind of gain are we going to have? Something so spectacular that needed so much suffering. And the Yudke Vavke of the future is that revelation so much higher than the revelation right now. Now, just like by Yetzirah Mitzrayim, the revelation of the Yudke Vavke, even though it began by the going out of Egypt, as it says, V'yadu Mitzrayim ki ani Hashem, that Egypt will know that I am the Yudke Vavke. We spoke about this last week as well, the difference between the name of Elohim that is in Mitzrayim and the name of Yudke Vavke in the land of Israel. So I mean, there was a display of the Yudke Vavke, That's, right? However, um, and, but the main revelation was by the giving of the Torah. Vayered Hashem al Har Sinai, that God came down on Har Sinai, the Yudke Vavke revealed itself on Har Sinai. So, so it was in the Torah, through the Torah. And it's not it was only at the time. See, people make a mistake. It was at the time of the giving of the Torah, the heavens opened up and there was a display of God. No, 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 no. That display of the Yudke Vavke, that God, that energy, that light of the Yudke Vavke is encapsulated in the Torah. And therefore, whenever we do a mitzvah and study Torah now, anything that we do today as a consequence of the event, the event at Sinai contains within it, even though we're not conscious of it, the revelation of the Yudke Vavke into our neshamas. So we have that in the Torah. But just like then it came through the Torah, when Mashiach will come, it would also come through the Torah. But what Torah? A new Torah. The Pasuk says... Torah Chadasha Me'iti Teitze, a new Torah is going to issue forth from me, which obviously doesn't mean a new Torah, because Maimonides tells us one of the 13 principles of faith is Zos HaTorah Lo this Torah will never be exchanged. However, it means the Torah is going to experience such a powerful makeover, and I don't mean a makeover that it's going to change, but such a powerful inner opening and revelation in which we are going to see in the Torah depth and depth and depth in ways that we couldn't ever have imagined how the Torah is going to unravel in front of our eyes and on levels that anything we've ever understood, including all the teachings of Zohar, Arizal, Hasidut, and everything that we have that teaches us the inner light, and that, all this is considered superficial and external in comparison to the deepest great revelation Mashiach is going to reveal, or even more than that, Torah Chadasha Me'iti, God Himself is going to reveal the inner, inner light of the Torah to the point that it's going to be considered like a new Torah. 
a new Torah is going to be revealed. And that new Torah is going to encapsulate in it the future revelation of the Yudke Vavke, of the higher Yudke Vavke, of the higher Tetragrammaton. So there's two, two Yudke Vavkes, and that's what we're leading up. So here's very, very exciting. So when we hear Hashem telling Moshe Rabbeinu, soothing his pain, where Hashem, Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, and Hashem is kind of calming him down, and telling Moshe, Moshe, please believe me, I know you're questioning, you have doubts, you don't understand, but please believe me, I wouldn't do this to them if, 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 I wouldn't be, if this wouldn't be for their best interest, for something really, really good. We have to open our ears and hear the same conversation going on right now, where Hashem is telling all of us, believe me, you're about to witness something so awesome, so crazy awesome. As it says, that when, the, when, when Mashiach will come, we're not going to say anymore that this is the God who took us out of Egypt, we're going to say this is the God who took us from the four corners of the earth in the, in the future redemption. It's going to be on a whole different level. And that is what we have in the parsha. What I would like to do now is try to connect these three eras. According to this, it comes out that there are three eras, three points of time. There is the era before the giving of the Torah, which the Torah refers to as the time of Kale Shakai, where even though there was godly revelation, it was a very limited revelation, the revelation to our forefathers, the pre-Torah revelation. Then came phase number two, the revelation of God during Matan Torah, during the tet- when God revealed the, the Tetragrammaton. And finally, the revelation of Hashem, that's going to be when Mashiach comes, which within the Yudke Vavke, it's a transcendental level of the Yudke Vavke, of the, of, of the Tetragrammaton, much higher than the other revelation. So we need to understand what's the relationship between these three phases. Because obviously these are one that leads into the other, so they're interconnected. And secondly, they're all emanating from one being who transcends all time and space. And therefore, they're really all deep inside, they're all emanating from the same essence. So we need to be able to connect the three and see what the thread is, how the three and how one leads into the other. And then we can understand how we play a role in both realizing all of the past and realizing all of the future. This is so awesome. It is so awesome that we're living right where we're living right now because we're encapsulating. We're like pulling in everything, everything. It's all, it's all being funneled through each and every one of us. And through us, it's projecting out into this powerful, powerful, unbelievable revelation for the future. Even though you might be numb, and I am numb, and we have no idea what's going on. But it is happening. Through you, with you. All of the past, all of the future, and all of the now happening right now as, the, as we're connecting all three together. So let's understand that a little better. How does it work? So the first thing I want to notice on the Pasuk, it says an interesting thing. It begins with I, the era, I, I, I revealed myself to Avram, to Yitzhak, and to Yaakov. And the Torah says, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't reveal my name, Yudke Vavke. That I didn't reveal. Instead, I revealed Bikel Shakai, not my Yudke Vavke. Fine. Then God says, Lochain and Yisrael, but you now you go and tell the Jewish people, Ani Hashem, I am Yudke Vavke. So as we explained earlier, the meaning over here is to the forefathers I didn't reveal the real deal. But to you I do want to reveal the real deal. And that's why that's the meaning of Amorlibne Yisrael. The problem with that is that the word Lachain, this is the beginning of the it's the beginning of the one, two, of uh, the fifth Pasuk. Pasuk Vav, but it's the fifth Pasuk, because Pasuk Ve'era begins with Pasuk Be'ez. 
So it's the beginning of the fifth Pasuk in the parsha, Pasuk Vav. You tell the Jewish people, I am Yudke Vavke. I am God. What I am bothered with is the word Lachain. Why? Lachain means that there is some kind of a continuum. I revealed so, and that was like part of the revelation, and now I'm revealing so. But since, as we're explaining now, what we're really saying is that a new chapter has just begun. Till now, so and so. And that is not a big deal. That was the old world, the pre-Matan Torah. That was like prehistoric times. That was like a long time ago. Now we're going to give you something new and spectacular. If so, the whole theme of the Parsha is a disconnect from the forefathers. Not a continuation of the forefathers. If so, the word that probably would have been aval, which means however, like we say in Davening, aval anachnu, the whole world is ke'ayin is all nothing before God. Aval anachnu, but we, b'nei b'risecha, I say, aval is a good word. It's a word that separates till now was so. However, aval is like a however. It's, 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 it's a change. Lochein means therefore. Therefore means you're continuing. But you're not continuing. The whole idea over here is that their revelation was, is considered small things, small change in comparison to the great revelation coming. The word lachain seems to be not exactly the right word. Secondly, and I'm not asking it according to pshat because Rashi does give a pshat on the lachain. And pshat you can find many answers. I'm going, I'm looking at this, we're looking at this from a much, from a form, from a more um, mystical uh, um, um, level and to understand this. The other question over here is, we always know the name of the parsha is so important. It is, captures the essence of the parsha. What's the name of this week's parsha? Va'era, and I have revealed myself. Okay, so we got it. This is, from this parsha and on, God begins to reveal himself in the world. Fine, we got that. But the, and, 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 but the question over here then is, and, and you're going to see the, the plagues come, but which revelation does the word va'era mean? What is it referring to? If you read further, it says va'era el Avraham el Yitzhak el Yaakov. So the va'era is referring to the revelation that's to Avram and to Yitzhak and to Yaakov. Which we have just said is not to have an impressive revelation. The real revelation, the main theme of this week's Parsha is from right this moment on, we are now beginning to reveal something, a whole new power, a whole new light. If this is the case, if this is now a whole new light, how can the name of the Parsha, which is referring to the future new light that's coming in as part of Yetzirah Mitzrayim, is now being introduced and is negating what was before, how can the name of this new revelation be called Va'era, which the word Va'era is talking about the revelation to the Abbas, to the forefathers? It doesn't make any sense. The Abbas that we have to say, that these time periods that we're talking about seem to be so disconnected there. This is this period, this is this period, this is that period. But going back to what we said before, they're all intertwined and they're all one. And in a very, very deep inner way, the revelations that happened to our forefathers already encapsulated everything. But yet, God is distinguishing and He's saying, it wasn't the real deal. So let's understand these two ideas. On the one hand, it had everything to it. On the other hand, they were lacking. They didn't have the revelation. We have, even by the giving of Torah, we had much greater than what Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov has. And for sure, once Mashiach comes, we're going to have a much greater revelation. Way, way above. But yet they had it all already. So how does it work? 
So we'll answer all of that by just recognizing another interesting thing. On the beginning words of the parsha of Eira, El Avraham, El Yitzhak, El Yaakov, Rashi makes an interesting comment, which all the Mepharshim and all the commentators, a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them pick up on. Rashi says, the Eira, El Avraham, El Yitzhak, El Yaakov, what's his commentary? The Eira, El Avos. I revealed to myself to the fathers. Now, we sure hope that by the time you get to Parshas Ve'era, you already know that the Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov are the patriarchs of the Jewish people. They're all fathers. What's the big novel of Rashi's coming out? So Rashi's telling you something. So what, what is the meaning? And the reason for that, to that is that there is, is to realize, even though we're kind of now turning to a new chapter, which is far more glamorous and far greater than what was before, Rashi's saying, remember you have fathers. That everything you're getting is really because of your fathers. It's all attributed to the fathers. They're the source. And they are the power of all that is to come. Even though they didn't merit to actualize it, and therefore to experience in its full glamour, and its full power, and its full light, but they are the source. And that's why, that's why Rashi is emphasizing they are your fathers. Because when you see children... Everything the child possesses, they got from their parents. Their parents gave them every cell, gave them their, 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 their entire being, their body, their, came, their soul, it all comes from their parents. Whatever abilities, talents, strengths, and, and things that children possess, it comes from their father. Now, as we're going to see soon, it's possible sometimes that a child should develop themselves and powers even more than their parents. But even that power came to them from the parent. It's just that the parent never actualized the hidden, hidden, dormant, uh, latent powers of their soul, core essential powers of their soul, remained undeveloped. And in their child, their child takes these potentials and maybe runs with it and, and actualizes it more than the parent, but it has to come from the parent. So everything the Jewish people are ever going to experience is really there encapsulated or really there in an in 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 essential um, 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 way. It's there already in our fathers. And that's the meaning. And not only that, but there is a certain quality. There is, some, there is a quality that our forefathers have that they have that we don't have. On the one hand, the Jewish people after the giving of the Torah experience and have far more higher, more powerful connection to God which, by the way, sounds kind of strange to a lot of people because you would think, like, to the others, Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, I mean, their, their revelations of Hashem were much higher, but that's not true. The actual connection that you have to Hashem when you do a mitzvah, when you learn Torah, is far superior than the connection that Avram had, even though he had prophecy, and even though he was far more conscious of his godly connection than you are and me are, because we're very coarse, and they were very big tzaddik and very refined, but the actual revelation that took place in their soul is of a far, far weaker and lesser, inferior revelation than what happens to me and you when we study Torah and we do a mitzvah. However, notwithstanding all of that, there is a quality to our fathers that we don't have. What's the quality of our... How do we see that there's a quality of the fathers? Not only to us, but even to Moshe Rabbeinu. Who, who's greater than Moshe? Moshe? And Moshe was the one who brought down the revelation of Ani Hashem, which is much higher than the revelation of Ani Kel Shakai. Even the revelation of Moshe Rabbeinu, of Ani, Moshe Rabbeinu is the facilitator, who is the actualizer, he is the funnel through where the name Hashem, the name Yudke Vavke comes flowing and channeling to the Jewish, to, 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 to the world. 
Yet, you see this week in the parsha, the Avos stood higher than him. How do you see that? Rashi also, right at the beginning of the parsha, Hashem speaks to Moshe, and Hashem says, I'm disappointed, and I really, really miss my dear friends, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They did not interrogate me. They did not question me. They did not have doubts like you. I see in them certain qualities that you don't possess. Hashem rebukes Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, Oi, chaval al diavdin, listen to these words. Whoa, I lost. It's such a shame of the good old days when I have really, really, really devout good friends, people that really cared and they had trust in me, and you don't trust me. So you see that the Pasuk is emphasizing the quality that the others has, even to the highest, we, the highest person we can, we can present, the others are greater, right? Oh, so there is a quality there. But not only is there a quality there, but as we're going to see soon, we have to say that not only is there a quality, but that everything that we achieved, everything that we achieved now, everything that we achieve now, in our, in, in later, by the giving of the Torah, and, by, and even as we're going to soon see, even by the coming of Mashiach, it's all with the power and derived from our Father. So let's understand that a little better. It's all with the power and derived and veer from our fathers. So let's understand how does that work. So first we need to get a little bit, a better understanding of the difference of the difference of the godly revelation that happened to our forefathers and the godly revelation that's happening to us. What is the difference? We said earlier, it's related to the name Kel Shakai and the name Yud Kevavke. So what does it mean? You see, Kel Shakai, the word Shakai, comes from the word Shedai. Shedai means enough, which the sages describe means, means as follows. That God, I am the one, God says, why am I called Shakai? Because I am the one, Sha'amarti lo'ilami, that I said to my world, die is enough. When God was creating the world, the world was expanding, and God said, enough. God put a limitations to the cosmos. He created things and he limited it. That's the name Shakai. So what is that indicative? What does that show you? That is showing you that the word Shakai, the name Shakai, is associated with constriction and limitation. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a power of God, but it's a fa- power of God that is at least manifesting in a very limited way. Because it puts a limitation on the world. Now we can say, on a deeper level, if Hashem said die when He created the world, and that's the meaning of the name Shakai, it really means that the name Shakai was the name of God that was active and involved in creating the world. That's the name. What's the name? A name is an expression. God expressed Himself as Shakai when Hashem created the world. Now the creation of the world is magnificent. The worlds are magnificent. But as magnificent as they are, they still have a limit and they still have an end. The worlds are not every world. Everything you see in the world is limited. Planet Earth is very big, but it has a limit. And then our solar system is huge, but it has a limit. Our solar system is part of a galaxy. The galaxy is even indescribably big, but yet it has an end. And there's another guy. And obviously you have to say that the universe is also limited. Our minds can't fathom the vastness and where the limitations of the universe can be. And if science is saying that the worlds are expanding, which we were actually interesting once spoke that that itself could be a result 
and it seems like what Hasidus says, it's a, the, a result of the Torah and mitzvahs that we br- do in the world, in which we are bringing the infinite into the finite, and as a result of that, causing an expanding universe. That's again a possible description that, uh, this discussion that we had a long time ago. But whatever it is, the worlds are all finite. The name Shakai is the name. It's a, the name Shakai is to a certain degree synonymous and associated with the name of Elohim. Which are, they're not exact. If we analyze them individually, of course there's a big difference. It's not the same. But for the general idea that we're discussing today, the name Shakai and the name of Elohim are intertwined, they're similar to each other. And that's why when, it's, when, we create, when God created the world, Bereshis bara Elohim. It doesn't say Bereshis bara Hashem, Bereshis bara Elohim. And the reason is because Elohim is the name of divine constriction and concealment. and re, re, Hashem is kind of limiting himself, his energy. He's infinite, so his power that he unleashes should be an infinite power that should create an endless, endless universe. The fact that it's not doing that is because he's restraining himself through the name of Elohim and through the name of Dai, Sheh, Dai, it is enough. Yudke Vavke, on the other hand, in contrast to that, Yudke Vavke, which is the name of the Tetragrammaton, is indicative of past, present, and future all in once, which means beyond definition, beyond limitations, beyond divisibility, you can't divide, you can't divide him into sections of past, present, and future because he's infinite. So the name Yudke Vavke represents God's infinite, boundless light. Now the name Yudke Vavke did not come into play in the world. God did not reveal that. Creation did not tap into that energy until when it began by the by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. By the going out of Egypt, the plagues, the splitting of the sea, the taking the Jews out, especially all the plagues that happened, and finally it culminated by the giving of the Torah. All the heavens, everything to receive the revelation was infinite, it was boundless. It was, where do you see now? Good. So this is this higher infinite light that we have, the Jewish people, through the Torah, and we share this and transmit this to the entire world as a result of our observance of Torah and mitzvahs. Now we don't see it anymore. For an hour or so, during the giving of the Torah, this was revealed. After that, it went back into hiding, but it's not that it's not being channeled and it's not being accessed. As we said earlier, it's being accessed every time you study Torah, every time you do a mitzvah, every time you give charity, every time you put on tefillin, every time you keep Shabbos, light a Shabbos candle, whatever mitzvah you go visit the sick, any mitzvah any Jew is doing anywhere across the world, he's tapping into the Yudke Vavke energy, thereby channeling the infinite into the world. It is not seen yet. It will be revealed by the coming of Mashiach. Fine. But it's not revealed. Fine. However, let's ask a simple question. Where or in what sense do you see that the giving of the Torah? Um, where, what changed essentially in the giving of the Torah that you say that oh, that the revelation to Avram and to our forefathers they also had revelation. It wasn't like just Hashem revealed Himself to Avram by the bris milah, but He says I revealed myself with the name Kel Shaka. So what exactly do in in what? Where is it, is it, is it um, noticed, this revelation of the Yudke Vavke in Torah that is not in, 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 uh, in, previous gener- in the previous generations? So it's, in one, it's primarily in one thing. And that is something that happened by the giving of the Torah which changed everything. It was a game changer, the giving of the Torah, which was what element? Something changed a powerful transformation. And we spoke about this many times, but don't let yourself ever, ever, ever 
get comfortable with this idea because you heard it a thousand times and say, oh, I know that already. If you know this already and it doesn't excite you, that's big, big trouble. And a lot of people learned this information. And they open it up and find it in these books especially a thousand times. Oh, I know that already. If you know it already, then it's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, you're not knowing anything. The excitement is in this one idea, and that is that until the giving of the Torah, the material physical world was not sanctifiable. The physical material world, you could not experience God in the physical and through the, and through the physical. By the giving of the Torah, the magic happened, the, the unbelievable, the impossible happened. And that is that from now on, God is going to be experienced not through metaphysical meditations, transcendental meditations in which you go up in some higher realm. The connection and the deepest and most powerful and strongest connection to God happens in a physical action and not just while you're doing a physical action, but in the physicality of the physical action. Now what do I mean by that? What we mean by that is the very, very physical is God when you're doing a mitzvah. Your hand, the penny you're giving for tzedakah, the nickel you're giving, the bags you're helping someone put into their car when they need help, the, uh, the physical action of helping your parents, honoring your father or your mother, bringing them a tea, that is God. That is God. God is the dollar bill. God is now fully expressing himself in via the physicality of that action. God is expressing himself in your physical hand, in your physical brain, in your physical tongue, in the physicality, in the concreteness of your physical body. You and God are totally one. The unity of God is being expressed in you, through you. And it's not in the meditations that you're experiencing, but it's actually in the physical movement that is happening. That's where it's expressed far more even than in your consciousness and in your awareness. Your consciousness and your awareness, that's the spirit of you. That's not the mitzvah. And how do we know that? We know that from the basic idea of halacha. Now here's an amazing thing. I just want to emphasize something here because I read an entire, uh, yesterday I spent a couple of hours reading a whole study that someone did on this idea of how this is the novelty of Hasidus, that it reveals something because we mentioned earlier that, that this happened by the giving of the Torah. But even though it happened three and a half thousand years ago, no one picked up on it. The Medrash says it, but the Medrash is stashed away amongst thousands of Medrashim and no Jewish machshava, the Jewish theologians or thinkers did not pick up on it. Until, to a certain degree, the Baal Shem Tov, but primarily his spiritual grandson, Rav Shneer Zalman of Liadi, whose yard site was yesterday, turned this into the corner of Judaism and reveals that this is, this is the crux of it all. And what is it? He's, it's really a medrash. The medrash says that initially there was a decree. When God created the world, he created the spiritual realms and he created the physical realms. And God made a decree. And the decree was that the, the spiritual worlds are worlds that can be enlightened. They can experience God. They can, they, can, they can revel in godly light. Sense God and express the holy and the godly. The physical, the lower you go, once you pass the barriers, God creates concrete physical material things. Physical material things, by their very definition, are coarse and not, cannot express something godly. They can't. 
their very definition is to be brute and thick and self-aware and not aware of a source. That's the definition of something physical versus something spiritual. Spirituality is anything that's not physical, that doesn't have substance of something physical, seeks to know where it comes from. It seeks to attach itself to The material physical claims, feels an autonomous independence, its own beingness. It's, an, it's, a, it's in a sense its own God. It, it itself is responsible for its existence. It is so thick and dense, it cannot, by its very definition, be holy and express God. And the magic of the giving of the Torah is we change that. And when we do a mitzvah, the physical is crying out, Ani Hashem, I am God. It, and that means, we are accomplishing every time we do a mitzvah, a unbelievable transformation in that physical dimension of existence. We're changing the world, bit by bit, piece by piece, one, one thing at a time. We go around the entire world, and, we, and mitzvahs are being done. And we transform the physical. And we're the ones who are making the revelation of Mashiach happen. Because when Mashiach is going to happen, the moment Mashiach comes, we're not going to believe what's going to happen. When Hashem turns on the light, so to speak, we're suddenly going to see God from every physical object of the world, from every human being, because we affected every human being in every place in the world through our mitzvahs. And physicality is a whole different physical. And it's not going to be magic. It's not going to be something that's happening then. It's happening now. You doing it. I'm doing it. We're all doing it. You did it yesterday. You're going to do it tomorrow. You did it today. When the mitzvah you did, you're changing. That's what's happening. The physical objects of the world are being transformed piece by piece as a result of the Torah. That can only be accomplished by the name Yudkei Vavkei. The name Kael Shakai could not have brought about that transformation. Because Shakai is what set the rules to begin with, with that which God created the world. And it created the various different zones. There is this time zone and there is this time zone. There is this, um, 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 the, the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. There is this galaxy and there is that galaxy. And there's different rules and regulations that, are, that, are, that, that, are, that, are, that govern each particular zone. Part of the rules and the regulations are that there are the spiritual realms, angels and above, that are aware of their source and, 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 and want a relationship with their source. And there is a realm that is by its very definition cut off from its source and lives in density city and in, and in self-awareness and not in, in an awareness of, 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 of its creator. So Shakai does not allow for this revelation. Only the revelation of Yudkei Vavkei allows for this. So now however, and that's why, our forefathers, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, could not do the most magnificent thing that me and you take for granted and we do it all the time. They could not do it. They could not do a mitzvah. Even though Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov did mitzvahs all their life, but they really, really couldn't do this magic. Because when they did a mitzvah, the, the meaning of their mitzvah was the spirituality. Even if they did physical a- actions, there was no holiness. There was nothing holy to their physical action. Their meditation, their attachment, their deep awareness of God that was taking place while they were doing the mitzvah, that was where the connection was happening. It was happening in their soul. It was happening in a higher spiritual world. It wasn't happening in the physical material of the physical world. It didn't have, they didn't have the ability to do that. Why? Because God only revealed the name Shakai. He did not reveal the name Yudkei Vavkei to them. They just couldn't do it. However, what did we say earlier? They, they really empowered us to do it. Not only did they empower us to do it, we have to say that they really did do it. How did they do it? 
So let's take one story by Avram. We'll take a look at Avram's life. And let's try to scan Avram Avinu's life and see if there was ever something similar by Avram Avinu in which material, physical, physicality became holy. And we will discover something really amazing. The first one to accomplish it was Avram Avinu. When? When Avram had his bris milah. When Avram did his circumcision, Avram did the most amazing thing. He broke through. He, he, he... He was the first one to accomplish this. Because in the physical bris milah, there is holiness. And there is holiness in the body. The bris is called os bris kodesh. It's a sign of a holy covenant. It's not just a sign of something holy. Holiness, which means Hashem is etched in the physical body. And God came down into the material physical. Physicality is not blocking Hashem. Hashem and the material, the matter itself becomes holy. And we see that from the story that the, 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 the Torah tells us about Avram referring to his bris milah after the bris milah. We find that when Avram Avinu was ready to make a take a a uh, to help to embark, uh, when Avram was re- willing to ready to send his trusted servant to embark on the most important mission, and that was to find a wife for his son Yitzchak, um, Avram was very wanted to. That Eliezer, he wasn't. He wanted to make sure that he's going to stick to his mission and not. It was a very crucial mission, as we're soon going to see. And he didn't want Eliezer Chas deviating even one iota and an iota. And he wanted Eliezer to make an oath to swear that he's going to stay true to the mission. Now the halacha is that when you swear, you have to hold on to something that is holy. Problem was that at Avram Avinu's days, there was no Torah, and there was no see. I mean, today's days, we don't have the shvua, but when the base them, when there, was, when there was a real Jewish court, when someone needed to take an oath in order that they should take it seriously and understand the importance of it, they would actually take a hold of a holy object, the Torah, and swear by it, or hold on to tefillin, or something like that. A chefet shel kedusha. It needs to be something holy. And in the days of Aaron, there was nothing holy. So the Pasuk says, or Avram says, Eliezer, simna yatcha tachas yerechi, which means Avram told Eliezer, to hold on to his bris milah, as much as we, it's hard for us to understand, but this is what Avram did. And the reason is, because Rashi says, because it's the only way he can, he can administer an oath, a true oath. Which means, that what Avram was really saying, is that he knows that the bris milah means that something physical became an entity of holiness. There's holiness in the Gashmias. Now this idea was, wow, this is the first time. This is the first time a piece of matter is now one with God. Because what does holy mean? Holy means it's one with Hashem. Hashem is dwelling there. Not just dwelling, expressing himself. God is expressing himself in physicality. So Avram really, so Avram did accomplish this. Amazing. We're saying it's like the big breakthrough, the giving of the Torah. Hashem says, I'm removing that wall. I'm going to allow the upper and the lower to merge. Well, Avram Avinu accomplished it. He's been there and done that. Well, you're going to argue and we'll say, does that really mean that Avram Avinu sank? The material and the physical. Come on. Which physicality did he sanctify? He sanctified a piece of his body. Avram Avinu's body. <laughs> Avram, the tzaddik, holy man. He, he was, he, his body would have been burnt alive already. He's a miraculous being. He was saved from a fire. He already passed. And the time he got to his bris, it was like eight tests. 
He was, a, of course, and he's considered the Merkava, the chariot of God. He didn't move his limbs but to serve Hashem. So to take such a refined piece of material, a physical world, and make that holy, that's, that doesn't say, we're not talking about elevating the entire physical world. But the answer is, you're right. That, that's only a little piece. But first of all, it's a beginning. You have to start with something. And that's the first bit of physicality that became Mashiach Deg, that became godly. That was the first place where physicality became holy. But there's another idea. When Avram Avinu did this, it was related to, and again, as we said earlier, when Avram, Avram uses his bris milah to empower Eliezer to do what? To find, to bring about the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka. Kabbalistically, we spoke about this in other classes, but this is phenomenal. Kabbalistically, the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka is very much related to the ultimate purpose of the sanctification and purification and elevation of the physical material world. Because Yitzchak represents spirituality and holiness. Rivka represents earthiness and, and, and the material. Because Rivka came from an unholy family and she didn't have any chance to work on herself. See, sometimes we wonder, Yitzchak, Rivka gets married when she is three years old. But why is God doing that? And, and it's an interesting shidduch because Yitzchak is already 40 years old. So he's 40 and she's three. But it just occurs to me as I'm speaking to you right now that there's a very deep meaning. Since the whole spiritual dynamics of this marriage is to indicate the fusion of two opposites, meaning, because Yitzchak is a son of Avram and Yitzchak, Avram and Sarah, born to them miraculously, after Avram already has his bris milah, he's such a tzaddik, and he's born, and he, Yitzchak was... Yitzchak, was, is, he's the symbol of avoda, of working on yourself. Yitzchak, he worked on himself too much, so much refined his body, so much he was ready to be a korban, a sacrifice, put on the altar. And it says he died at the time of the, this. It says even that the, he was even burnt, according to some opinions. And a new soul came into him. I mean, amazing things that this guy... So Yitzchak is a purely miraculous, godly, the neshama of Mashiach. Yitzchak says, God is, he got already the tchias amesim neshama came into him. That's what it says in Svarim. So Yitzchak is the peak. You couldn't have a man holier than Yitzchak. Rivka, you might say, she's also, she's, she's, she's a matriarch. She's a holy lady. Yeah, she didn't have any chance to work on herself. Nothing. She's three years old. She's a little girl. And her father is Besuel, a drunkard peasant. And the brother is Lavan, who is a lowlife. And if you look what the Medrash says about Besuel, what kind of lowly person he was, it, this was really, really bad. And, and, and Rivka comes in, and yet the two cut together. So in Hasidus it explains that the, this, why is Yitzchak and Rivka two opposites? Because they represent the fusion of the, of the Elyonim and the Tachtonim. The spiritual and the physical come together, but even deeper than that, they represent the two divine energies that need to merge together for this to happen, which in Kabbalah, I mean, just don't be afraid if you don't get what I'm saying right now, uh, because you're not familiar with Kabbalistic terminology, you can just totally disregard this, but... In Kabbalah it says that Yitzchak's energy is the energy of Ma, and Rivka's energy is the energy of Ban. And these are two, the, 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 Rivka represents Ban. Ban is the, the divine name associated with the shattering of the vessels and the, 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 the debris, the broken stuff in this world that's disconnected from God. Rivka's neshama was the soul, the divine name associated with all these broken pieces that need to be rectified, which make the world lowly to begin with. 
Yitzchak's neshama is the powerful godly light that's totally connected to Hashem above, which comes down to rectify and elevate these broken shards. So Yitzchak and Rivka, so when the two of them get married, it is really, it's really the, 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 um, micro, the micro of the, ma- of the giving of the Torah, which is the macro. In other words, when the giving of the Torah is, it happens on a global scale, the upper and the lower converge, but it had to happen first in the life of our forefathers in this marriage of Yitzhak and Rivka. That's why if you take a look in Rashi, you'll see Hasidus fits so well with Simple. Rashi describes that when Eliezer, when, when they were getting married, Rashi says he gave her a bracelet and he gave her a thing which represent the luchos and two shnates amidim, two bracelets, because one is the one luchos and the other. It weighs ten. Why does it weigh ten? Because it corresponds to the ten, ten commandments. Because in a small preview, in a small little way, this marriage is the giving of the Torah. Yitzhak and Rivka. Yet, now, so, if this is the giving of the Torah, so every mitzvah that is going to be done forever, every element of purification that's happening, every dark piece of matter in the corner of the world in Thailand that is being elevated by an Israeli uh, hiker that puts on tefillin one time in his life and uh, in Thailand or, in, or in, who knows where and, and, and is now elevating the sidewalk, the street, the oxygen, the environment, the cafe where he's sitting and he's doing the mitzvah where this person grabbed him and did the mitzvah with him, put him on, slapped the yarmulke on his head and got him to do a mitzvah and suddenly physicality is transformed and we're talking about 3,000 years after the Torah is given and the magic is still happening every day across the world. Where did it really happen? In the marriage of Yitzhak and Rivka because that's the empowerment. And where did the marriage of Yitzhak and Rivka get their power from? From Avram Avinu's bris milah. Because Avram is giving, administering the oath. So you see that he, it's not just, what I'm saying is, it's not just a personal, individual act. It's an act that's really a seed for everything that's going to happen. And one more thing that you also see, is to who did he, did he, did he administer the oath? He administered, because the question we asked before, we're dealing with a limb of Avram Avinu, a holy tzaddik becomes holy. Fine. But to who do you administer the oath? To Eliezer. Now Eliezer from amongst the human families, Eliezer comes from what we might consider spiritually the weakest spiritual link. Why? Because we know that, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Noach had three sons, three colors of the rainbow, Shem, Cham, and Yafes. And Shem is the one blessed, and Cham was the one that was cursed. Not Cham, his son, Canaan. And Eliezer was a Canaanite. And that's why when Eliezer made a suggestion that maybe my daughter can marry your son Yitzchak, Aram Avinu puts him in his place very quickly. He says, you're cursed and I am blessed. So what does that mean? Amongst the material family, amongst the human families of the earth, Eliezer is from the lowest elements. Yet, Avram administers this in the oath to him. And this very Eliezer who is cursed brings about, he is instrumental in unifying Yitzchak and Rivka and allowing the Torah to be given this is an ultimate transforma- demonstration of the transformation of the lowly becoming holy. Of darkness is transformed to light. That something that is dark and unholy is operating and enabling and facilitating a godly revelation, the empowerment, the greatest union, Eliezer is the one doing it. It wasn't Avram, it was Eliezer. Because that's part of the deal. Since we're going to now enable the fusion on heaven and earth, so the one who's going to do it is going to operate as an agent of Avram, who's heaven, but he himself is earth. And in earth itself, he's from the lowest, most, you might say, difficult family to refine, elevate, purify, transform, and yet he gets it done. 
So you see that there is over here this great power. So Avram Avinu already achieved and accomplished ultimate fusion of Kedusha coming into the physical. So we have to say thereby that the name Kel Shakai, when God says, I revealed himself to Avram Avinu, be Kel Shakai, and when did Hashem reveal Kel Shakai? When was this revelation? By the bris milah. Hashem reveals himself to Avram and he says, Ani Kel Shakai, Hesalech Lefanai Ve'yei So you have to say that even though even though Hashem is revealing the name Kel Shakai, but it can't be Shakai. It has to really be Yudkei Vavke. Because if it would be Shakai, Shakai doesn't have the power, as we spoke earlier, to make down and transform the physicals. We're going to see why. We're going to get to there in a moment. We'll see why. Well, only the Yudkei Vavke is able to do that. But the fact that by Avram's bris milah, God reveals himself, which means the empowerment to do this mitzvah is coming from Kel Shakai. So you have to say that in the Shakai, oh, so first of all, I want to very briefly show you that the name Shakai really has itself. Shakai, I, we said earlier, is the source of nature. We brought from the Gemara Mesechtas Chagiga. Ani hu shamarti lo'elami die. I said to the world, enough. Which means when the world was expanding, I set borders and boundaries to the world. That's one meaning of the name Shakai. But there's a little bit of a deeper meaning. Rashi brings on... On, uh, on one of the Psukim and Bereshis, Rashi says, I think by the Brismila, I'm not sure, Rashi says that the meaning of Kel Shakai, another meaning, Anihu, I am the one, Shaddai be'elokusi l'chol beria. I have enough in my godliness for every creature. If you're ever wondering, God forbid, that the sun is going to burn out, if you're ever wondering that, wow, that the world is not going to be able to supply, too many people are being born, and the world is going to run out of food, or energy, or whatever it is, or fuel, or whatever it is, that the world is going to, you know, we, we. God says, I have plenty. Shaddai means, I have, you can rely on me, I have plenty, I can sustain. Oh, so if you think about it, the word die over here is very different than when I say to the world, enough! Enough means, stop! Till here. Over here means, I have plenty. What does that mean? I have more. As much as you're going to consume, as much energy as you're going to consume, you will never ever drain me. You will never ever, you know, because uh, um, um, I, I can give and give for endless. Ooh, so this is indicative of an energy that's beyond, that's not finite. So you see that in, but it's still relating to the finite because I have enough to sustain the creation. The power sustaining it is not finite, but this creation is finite. There's one more interpretation to the name Shakai. And this is stated where? This is stated in Bereshus, in Bereshus Rabbah. There's one more interpretation of Shakai. Where the Abishter, where Hashem says the meaning of Shakai is that She'en, let me read it again, She'en Dai The worlds are not enough for my godliness. Which means that even if you were to bring the entire creation to receive me, they can't handle me. I am vastly infinite. So what is this representing? This represents the true infinite of God that nothing can hold him. He's so he's endless, he's endless, he can't be facilitated. So you see that Shakai, even though it seems like real limitation, inside Shakai there's a higher meaning, and inside that there's even a higher meaning. But that's still Shakai, it's not Yudke Vavke. So we have to say that somewhere hidden in the Shakai is really the Yudke Vavke too. If that's the case, hold it. But didn't we say now that the verse says, Ushmi Hashem loinoidati, I did not reveal my name Yudke Vavke. 
I only revealed my name, what? Kale Shakai. And here we're saying that Avram Avinu, he must have, he had Kale Shakai, but not just Kale, he was able to sanctify the physical. And to sanctify the physical, you need what? The name Yud Kevavke. That's the Chiddush, that's the novelty of the giving of the Torah. The answer to that is, and this is very important. True, in order to break through and to be able to reach even one part of the world, in order to break through and reach and sanctify even one cell of the material world and make it holy, requires the Yud Kevavke. Because without the power of the Yud Vavke, you cannot do it. Let me explain why. Bichlal in general, why is Shakai? Why are we saying that this great revelation of the Yud Vavke expresses itself in the fact that by the giving of the Torah, we are able to make physicality holy? It's a very simple idea. but It's, it's a deep idea, but it's still simple to understand. You see, if we say that God can only reveal Himself in spiritual things, but the physical material world is too thick, coarse, and dense for him to come through, that means there is a limitation on his light. His light, his truth cannot show itself in something. So that means God cannot demonstrate his truth in something so low. He's limited, that's a limitation. So the name Shakai is a limited name of God. And it can only reveal itself in the higher worlds. It doesn't have the power to reveal itself in the material, physical things. So from the name Shakai, since Shakai means die, to what, even on some subtle level, Shakai means has limitation, so it, it cannot reveal itself everywhere. But the Yud Vavke, which is God's true light, being that it's, it's, it's emanating and expressing the infinite, the infinite cannot have any limitations where you can say to him, you cannot reveal yourself in something physical. You can only reveal yourself to an angel. You can't explain yourself. You can't reveal yourself to something coarse. Because Havaya is infinite and boundless, it cannot have a limitation. It has to be able to reveal itself in every, in, in all, everywhere, even the physical. Comes out according to this. The fact that Avram Avinu was able to sanctify, even if it's just a small tiny place and a little bit of physicality, which is his own mila, and that's where God was revealed. But still, the fact that it was able to come down somewhere into the physical, physicality creates an absolute block to God and only an infinite power can, can, can overpower that and can reveal itself even in something physical. And therefore what? Avram Avinu also in potential and in essence was relating to the Havaya, to the Yud Vavke. However, what does it mean that Eshmi Hashem Loi Noidati? It wasn't really revealed. Why wasn't it revealed? The fact that it was only happening on Avram Avinu's body and it wasn't really showing itself everywhere. I mean, if it's really the limitless, infinite power of God, why can it only reveal itself in a holy body like Avram Avinu? And what's with the rest of the world? What's with all the other people? What's with, what's with a Gentile? What's with, why does it have to stay over here? So even though really the fact that it reveals itself is indicative of Avaya, but it's not really revealed. That's why it's interesting. When Hashem says in this Pasuk, He doesn't say, Yushmi Hashem, my name God, Lo Higlesi, Lo Noidati, I didn't make it known. In other words, the Havaya was there by Avram Avinu. It happened. 
Actually, right after the bris milah, it says in Parshas Vayera, Vayera Hashem, it says Yud Kevavke. The Yud Kevavke was there, but it wasn't displayed. It wasn't open. It wasn't revealed. But where was it really, really, really revealed? Where was it really revealed? It was really revealed only after Matan Torah. Because once the Torah is given, and what happens after the giving of the Torah? We're not limited in where we can reveal God. We can reveal Hashem, first of all, in every Jew's body. Not only a holy Jew. Not only a Jew who sits and learns Torah all day long and does purifications and refines himself and goes to the mikvah a thousand times and purifies himself. No, no, no. You can take a Jew off the street in the middle of him hanging out in a club. The person can be in the beach doing whatever and you can pick him up and say to him, did you put on tefillin today? And he says no. You throw him a yarmulke, try to get him a little respectful that he should be covered his body and put on tefillin on him and you did a mitzvah and God is now revealed in his physical brain in his hand in that tefillin on the beach. I mean, of course, you have to follow the, the, the rules of the Shulchan Aruch that it should be, uh, you should be allowed to do it in that situation. And how exactly just to be in a play with Sneas? I'm getting into the ideas. But whatever it is, and God is revealed. And there's no distinction. Avram didn't do that. Why? Because now, Yudke, after Matan Torah, Yudke Vavke is fully manifest and fully revealed. However, it's not the completion of it. Why is it not the completion of it? What's lacking today's days? What's lacking today's days is even though holiness is really there and happening, and when you see a Jew doing a mitzvah, you have to stand up. That's what it says. When, it, when you're watching, a, when a person is doing a mitzvah and you're in the room with someone doing a mitzvah, you're supposed to stand up because God is happening. At that place, God is happening. We're in the physical. Even if this, and again, and remember, even if there's nothing spiritual going on, because the person is not thinking even that he's, Conscious really into anything spiritual. He's just doing the mitzvah because you asked him to do it and he's rolling up his sleeve. It's just physical mechanics. There's nothing else with it. Yet, God's truth is being revealed. The MS, the etzim of Hashem is being revealed. Very good. But the fact that even after everything is said and done, the material still seems to be the same material it was before. Is it indicating that there's still some kind of a, still some kind of a limitation? God is not blocked anymore. He can come down and be present everywhere. But the fact that he's not revealed in the place that... Meaning, halachically he's revealed. Because as we said earlier, you're supposed to stand up. When you know what's really happening, you know that God is now... Something holy is taking place in the physical. But to an, to an, to an, to an observer, to a scientist, to anybody looking at this with the naked eye... It looks the same. You did the tefillin, you didn't do the tefillin. You did a mitzvah, you didn't do a mitzvah. You gave, what? Does a dollar bill look different before you gave tzedakah and after you give tzedakah? It looks the same dollar bill. So I know, you know, because you came to this class that the dollar is a holy dollar. Fine, but, you, but it's not seen in the dollar. When Mashiach comes, we come to the next stage. The very fact that what? Just like we said before, the fact that it was limited, that it can only be in one place of Avram. And not in, it can only be in one tiny place in the world, not in the whole world, is indicative that it's not really revealing how it's Avaya, how it's Yudkevavke. The tr- same is also true about the next thing. The fact that today, even though you can reveal godliness in every corner in the world, but the fact that you're not seeing it is what? Is also demonstrating that this, 
it's not showing that this is the true omnipotent power of God. Because the real, real, true, inner, inner, most omnipotent power of Hashem, Hashem's true essence, is not just not limited in him being able to ex- be present everywhere, but also that he doesn't have to remain concealed, and he could be revealed in something material and in something physical. And there's no limit to how in what kind of low place he can reveal himself. The moment Mashiach comes, and we are going to start seeing God everywhere, in everything, that means the revelation of God, not only is God present, but actually revealed everywhere, now you know that what has really been happening all along, that this is truly, truly God's essence, that cannot be confined to something or somewhere, if it can reveal itself in the most transcendental place, it can reveal itself on earth, not just on earth, but in the earthiest of earth, everywhere. That's the ultimate revelation of the truth of the Eberster himself. That revelation is going to be after Mashiach comes. Here is where I want to pull it all together and tell you that when Avram Avinu made a bris milah, godliness was revealed in a tiny little section of a holiest body in the world ever to live. And on his body, a small little part of his body became infused with godliness. Here is the shocker. And here is the shocker. To many people, nothing changed. But I'm telling you, something huge changed. The fact that in the White House, I think last week, Shabbos candles were lit in the White House. If it was in the White House, or if it was last week, it might be next week. In the most powerful place on the world, representing the Gentile world, a mitzvah is now very possible. A kitchen is now kosher. And, and I'm going to bring you back to this point again, and I'm not ashamed to say it, and I'm going to scream it from this microphone again and again. I know this election is upsetting a lot of people, and it got a million people to walk the streets and protest. But a very, very coarse human being, maybe coarse, maybe even vulgar, is doing the godly thing, pronounced God's name like five times during his inauguration speech, and is going to do exactly what God wants him to do, not out of inspiration, just because this is indicative that the mat, that pure matter of the entire world is transformed. If it's happening there, it's in the entire world. The world is not comfortable with it yet. Why is it rattling the nerves of so many people? Why is the media going crazy, don't know what to do with themselves? You have to admit that this is a spiritual thing. This is not, this doesn't make any sense. What Avram Avinu accomplished in a tiny little point of his body is now consuming Donald J. Trump from head to toe. He is prepared to build Yerushalayim up, to move the Jewish embassy, to recognize and to pave the way for the building of the Beis Amigdash, for Mashiach Tzedkeinu. 
This is, this doesn't have another explanation. This means that whatever we started then, as now, this is, this is the Ani Avaya in its full, total expression. That's the truth. Now we just have to open our eyes, and you'll see, the miracles are now going to be like nonstop. If, 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 it's, if, if it has hit so deep, and it has gone so low, and from darkness itself, total transformation, and the will of God fully revealed, from what we might call from the lowest that there isn't any other lower than that. That is awesome. That is unbelievably godly. And no one can argue anything because those that get all upset, that's the whole point. Because of what you're saying, that's what's so great about it. Now I'm not arguing with you. That's the truth. You're right. But that's what's so beautiful. He's flowing. He's going with the flow. He's going with the flow of the Jewish people need to be in Eretz Yisrael. He is going with the flow of that. That means that godliness is coming through him in a very, very magnificent, unbelievable, inexplainable way. For those of you who questioned, and I myself questioned, I stood here at this podium two years ago and I spoke about the year 5775. And I said that would be the year that Mashiach would be coming. And I was very gutsy in me. And then I thought when 5775 left, I thought I have to run out of town because I kept on making those proclamations. It didn't happen. And then I was able to extend it. And I said, you know what? 5775, according to that calculation, the altar says only ends the Gullus, but it's not really the beginning of the Gula. It's really 5776. And 576 ended and, my, and I had my tongue out. What was I going to say now? But the answer is, it makes perfect sense to me. And 5775 is when he announced his bid for the White House. That's what happened. And in 5776, he won the nomination. And in 57777, 5777, candlelights are being lit in the White House, Shabbos candles. And someone who's not the most refined human being is doing what he can to build Yerushalayim and to restore the Jewish people to the Holy Land. That is nothing short than this is the most magnificent miracle. That's why I'm telling you, Parshas Ve'era is not just an old story. It is happening this right now. We should merit to not have to give any more interpretations. By the time next week comes along, it should be obvious to everyone. May we merit and see that.